You're listening to TWN Champions, episode 20. Champions, arise! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum, or something like that. This is episode 20. I'm Rebecca, and with me is a man who was not programmed to do that. It's Will 9000. I am a regular Joe. (laughs) How about hamburgers? (laughs) How about them? Um... I hear you got a, you know, official feline companion this week. That's true. I feel the world wants some kitten updates. Well, the first update is I'm going to have to mortgage our home to pay for this kitten (laughs) because the vet we took it to is uh, charging a ransom for basic stuff. Uh, The part B of that story is we have a new vet. (laughs) (laughs) That is part. That was the very swift part B. They got bought out by a corporate thing, but we're doing all the things you can possibly do for this cat. Yeah, so she so she got hooked up this week, like you know, with her yeah. with her little baby shots and all her little baby appointment things or whatever. And it's really funny, like nothing will make you feel like a scumbag faster than like bartering for the quality of health care yes. for a loved one. But luckily, we're Americans and we're used to it. Yeah, they turned it. They, they try to turn it to like this boutique a la carte thing. For oh like, yeah, it's like a how much pampering operation. do you want her to have during like, her surgery? What care plan should we yeah. get your furry friend? And like they gave us a swag bag with like just they got so excited they stuffed it with like three of each package yeah. that they were supposed to give us, and it was ridiculous. The other uh, big thing we were going to do for her is this time we decided we wanted to really nail the litter box situation because we do not want messy litter boxes, and technology has improved. We were looking at like like the uh, laundry and uh, actual toilet plumbing system hookup for the litter box. That one was not, didn't, weren't going to work. And we were actually looking at the robot one that does. Talk about a grim artificial intelligence. I know. It was like, kill me. (laughs) (laughs) Also, there is too much phosphorus. Kill me. (laughs) Waste incoming. Kill (laughs) me. Just drops into its stomach. Kill me. (laughs) Why was I programmed to smell it? Kill me. (laughs) So because we didn't want to hear the robot's lamentations, we just bought a white box, which is working pretty well. Yeah, we we humanize our our intelligences too much. Again, which is why we had the problem with Alexa, where I I I I just couldn't with her. Uh, oh, also, if you, in case you're wondering, the cat is female. Oh, yeah. And uh, I named it uh, Zeph or Zephy after Zephram Cochran, the first man to break the warp speed barrier in Star Trek. Yes, and she breaks the warp speed barrier every day with her kitten antics. <laughs> also, speaking of, just one more person who's near and dear to our heart, you know, our friend Scott. Yeah. I, I think I think they're they're going to shelters for his family to get a cat this weekend. Oh, right. So fingers crossed, Scott may have kitten updates too. Okay. Okay, we'll pass them on if, if he does. 
Also, people near and dear to our hearts, I have an update from my sister from our last episode. You remember? You may remember our last episode, the paying to lunch ladies. Yes. Um, well, uh, my sister listened to the episode and just wanted to corroborate that I was exactly right about the lunchroom experience at public school at the public school that we went to. And I will. <laughs> so, she, so she felt the pressure too. Yes. She now. So she was three years younger than me, and also she was a girl, so her experience could have been different. She says, okay, lunch was definitely a stressful time at school. I also would run to the cafeteria, which is funny. I didn't know that. <laughs> you, you hungry if you want to survive, family. you do it. My issue was having enough time to eat. Agree. The line would be so long and you'd only have like 10 minutes to eat. I remember the lines being so bad I would give up and get crap out of the vending machines. I remember a lot of kids bailing in the line just out of resentment. They would just stop. Y'all's lunch um, ladies were were sorry. She is a grown woman, and she says, it was so stressful for me that when I'm anxious, I actually dream about those cafeteria lines <gasps> and if I would have enough time to eat. That's fascinating. I know. Don't you love how your stress dreams come from like some foundational like experience like that? Every day when you didn't have enough... Uh, time to eat i guess it does scratch something weird yeah i mean because all of my stress dreams to this day are about lining up to go on marching band like in a marching band trip and either i don't have my instrument or you forgot your drill or i forgot the drill yeah i've done that before yeah and there was never a problem in school except for in college when we started programming like you do like a new show every yeah. week for a few weeks and then it was like what are we doing again? But then you just like look at your friends and you're like, oh yeah, it's this, that. I remember. I, just start I, doing the robot in the middle of the field. People will clap. <laughs> and there was a band where that could have happened. But no, like that, my stress dreams are always about that. So that's just weird. It's just like whatever it is in your, in your deep background that your, your stress brain reacts to. And if it's, it's, it scarred your poor sister. It did. It scarred her. It's, it's in your neural network. Eddie's <laughs> eating well. No more microwave dinners and saturated fats. Speaking of neural networks, what are we talking about today? On today's show, we're counting down our personal favorite takes on the AI archetype. I have four. Rebecca has four. It is a top eight. So let us break down here what we mean by AI for the purpose of this countdown. Because I think somebody listening at home might be like, oh, so you mean like robots? Will, do we mean like robots? <laughs> uh, I'll give you the straightforward definition, and then I think we can put a fine point on it. I said an AI, an artificial intelligence, is a non-biological uh, entity that is aware of itself and its place in the world, so it's sentient, and could pass a, as a human through a blind test like the Turing test. Um, it's a machine with the ability to reason. But maybe you can talk about what this is not. Well, so like for me, I, yeah, I said it's a created intelligence that resides in a non-traditional body for me. Right, okay. So I said it can't be ambulatory mm -hmm. because once you become ambulatory, then you're like a robot and that's different. And so we agree, yes, you can be an artificial intelligence uh, inside of a robot body. But for our list, we want to talk about disembodied or other bodied yeah. intelligences because it's more interesting and it's a different type of thing represents something different yeah yeah exactly it kind of resides everywhere and nowhere so this so not data from star trek this time not this time okay robots have ai but we're talking about the ai itself. yeah today we're doing the non-robotic ais yeah that's Got very it. clean yes yeah okay 
<laughs> now, would you like to give a tedious history on the the many acronyms of artificial intelligence? <laughs> I think I can do this pretty cleanly. I bet you can. I think AIs got on regular people's radar after Deep Blue, probably. I feel okay. like that's probably where it really came together in popular culture, even if people were working on it before, especially like Alan Turing. Yeah. Um, and so he had predicted like 50 years before Deep Blue that this would happen, but... Um, Deep Blue, that was this computer that was built by IBM, beat Gary Kasparov in a six-game chess match. And there was some controversy there because people were saying, well, it's not real intelligence because it's mostly just um, uh, a matter of processing power. It could see like 200 million moves per second in 14 turns in advance. And that's not technically like a strong AI. It doesn't get it like generalization and inductive reasoning and that sort of stuff. But it was a kind of a big deal because people were like, oh, they might do bad things. <laughs> <laughs> Skynet. Skynets yes. are coming. Yes. And it, it is interesting um, to me that artificial intelligence was part of the conversation about computing from the first days of uh -huh. computing. And like the, the big distinction is not just that we're making machines that we can program them and tell them what to do. We can tell them to remember what they have done and then start to decide on their own to execute commands, like uh -huh. which is the key distinction. It's not just like... I taught that robot, well, I taught that deep blue everything he know about yeah. chess. He watched me at the foot of the master, I'm the master, and then I told him to do good chess, and it did. Because uh, we know that computer programmers talk like that. And that's, one of, <laughs> and that's, from what I read, that's one of the big debates, too, is is trying to move them beyond not only rote learning and not only deductive logic reasoning, but inductive reasoning, where there's not enough logic to prove what comes next. Um, and that's sort of the big, one of the big challenges for, for AI right now. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so this is, this is a journey that humans are on. <laughs> it's, it is a beautiful journey. Can I talk a little bit maybe about its origins in fiction? Maybe how we see it in oh, stories? Yeah. 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 Cause like, when did we start talking about a robot? What could take over? I don't know if you saw this too in your Wikipedia encyclopedia-ing, but I've, I was seeing that maybe in the first robot stories is probably the earliest we could point to. I, I see in 1872, there was a Sam Butler novel called Erwan about a self-replicating conscious machine, maybe arguably Frankenstein. Yes, yes. I also learned about this novel. Okay. <laughs> so it was like from, from my reading, it was kind of like a Gulliver's Travels kind of okay. Victorian era, like light satire about the the society and i think a key feature of of it was like these first uh stirrings about machine fear where darwin's origin of the species was relatively new oh, okay and they started sort of thinking like well what if machines could could they could they evolve? could do yeah could they evolve by the same mechanisms and between that and the god complex fears with the with the frankenstein questions it was just kind of like the right time for us to start asking questions yes well, we were talking about the anxieties around like com computers taking off uh this genre sort of taking off too so this really took off in the 80s especially when our computers started to be able to do things like mm -hmm. you you can just think of all the ridley scott stuff and war games and the ian banks culture novels um it's often dystopian but it doesn't have to be uh it's just part of sci-fi now it's even uh starting to be pretty prominent in star trek discovery that wasn't why we picked this one but it just happens to be that i think like the last episode that's starting to be oh. a, a big thing well now. that's exciting
So basically, these have been part of the conversations for as long as we've had complex machines. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that complex. I mean, I know a lever is a machine, right? No one was ever worried about like a lever and a pulley taking over humanity, but... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, the, so, the, so what we're uh, talking about, you know, when we start talking about whether something's an AI or not, we were talking about this before, a lot of people might be familiar with this test, the Turing test that was proposed by Alan Turing. Uh, basically, it works like this. There's a human and a computer that are sort of uh, on the other side of this blind test and the interrogator can ask them questions, and then the computer and the human respond through a keyboard and a screen and give long pauses before their answers so that you, you can't really tell who's who. And the computer is allowed to lie or deceive to make itself um, sound more believable. And if several interrogators can't tell the difference, then we would have to agree that the computer uh, can pass as human and has human intelligence. And We'll probably get into this later, too, but uh, the futurist Ray Kurzweil says that this moment, which is called the singularity when uh, computers reach human intelligence, will happen in 2029. So get ready. You know what else is going to happen in 2029? Uh, there's going to be an asteroid that gets pretty close to us and we'll be able to see it in the sky naked. Wow. Isn't that, isn't that exciting? Well, how will we choose which to be excited and worried I know, about? Probably all of them. I'm kind of interested in both of those. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask if if you don't have anything else on this as background? I don't. I have I have an interesting question for you before okay. we go to our list. All right. I could do a million of these because there's so many little philosophical <laughs> okay. questions. All right. Uh, All right. Would you let someone create an AI from your own brain map? Would you sell it as a template? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the part of me that still has my wisdom teeth and won't let go of them due to stubbornness. <laughs> says, no, I ain't going to sell you the secret sauce. What makes the magic that is me? Okay? But then I have some altruistic, you know, like, like I wouldn't sell it perhaps, but maybe like, you know, how mm -hmm. Jonas Salk created the polio vaccine and then he just gave it away. Oh. What if I just gave it away? Then, that, a, then I would feel better about what doing an interesting, that. What an interesting analogy because I was thinking about, okay, if I were a woman, is it like giving your eggs to someone or something like that or a sperm donation or something like that? It would be kind of like but, that. Um, and I was also thinking, I guess it's not that invasive because you're giving them the map and you're really the product of your experiences and everything. It's like having a twin study, right? You know, they're not going to be the same people. They'll even look different from the different traumas and environmental things they've experienced. So it's not quite the same thing. So I think I would, but I wouldn't want to meet that person. I yeah, think. just you stay in your lane. Yeah. I'll stay over here. <laughs> like you can have your designer shoe business, as I'm sure you will, and I'll be over here with my many business interests. Yes. Okay. Interesting, interesting. All right. I have, yeah, I could I, probably I could probably do that. Okay, I have more upsetting questions as the no, list goes. No, okay, because I'm all, <laughs> like that very, that very much upset me. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm very stressed out. That's so funny. I'm excited. Then. This is a surprisingly emotional topic for all of us. Okay. okay, would you like to start us out with your first pick? Number eight. Welcome to Blaine. Praise the Imperium. Please make sure your transit card, the voice suddenly sped up, first becoming the chatter of a human chipmunk, and then a high-pitched gabbly whine. There was a brief electronic curse, boop, and then it cut out entirely. I think we can dispense with that boring old don't you? Blaine asked. From outside came a tremendous thudding explosion. For my first pick, I finally get to talk about the Dark Tower series. 
Yay! This is Blaine the Mono, the sentient monorail from Stephen King's Dark Tower Western Fantasy. Okay, and I didn't get far enough in that series to know that there was a sentient monorail. This is so my favorite. Please tell me more. This is the fa- my favorite of the books uh, so far. Uh, before we get into this, I feel like we need to talk about a monorail. Have you ever been on a monorail? Um, is is a light rail? I've been on the Denver light rail. Is that a monorail? I think so. Because it dangles on yes, one it rail. Yes, it is. It is. That's so. The, that's I have been on thing. a monorail. Okay. This was kind of interesting, and I think it explained why Stephen King picked the monorail for this train here. It's because, like in the 80s and early 90s, they were promoted as a futuristic technology, like with exhibition installations and amusement park purchases and stuff. And I just thought that was so interesting because they just completely gave up on that. But the idea was that they could get around regular traffic and stops and stuff. It was this little, it's sort of like, you know how bike people sometimes pretend they're part of traffic, but then sometimes just like <laughs> ride right beside you. That's what the monorail was supposed to do. Yes. And I remember this was a big deal when Disney World got one. And when I went, I guess in the mid eighties, uh, I remember us getting on the monorail. Like it was very exciting. It was like Epcot future, you know? Oh so yeah. That, we called it the monorail. It's not a regular train. We're on the monorail. This is the future. So by the time the Simpsons made fun of it, and that was right in the same era. Then that that was yes. like them codifying yes. that, uh, that whole little theme about hope for humanity and mm-hmm. how we might not have more traffic in the future. Exactly. And, and Spock was on it. Like, yes. So. <laughs> yes. And Spock was on it. So. The cosmic ballet continues. <laughs> yes. The reason I mentioned that is because I think that makes sense why Stephen King picked it because this that must have been on his mind too. Uh, when he published book three of the Dark Tower, The Wastelands, because it's right around that era in 1991. So anyway, if you need a refresher about the Dark Tower series, if you're not familiar, uh, obviously Stephen King is known for horror, but this is his real baby, he said. It's a sprawling fantasy series about an apocalyptic Old West, and it features a wandering gunslinger who's kind of like an Old West knight, and he's obsessed with finding the Dark Tower to stop time itself from coming apart. And throughout the series, he's traveling through a place called Midworld, which is sort of like the overworld for all possible times and all possible worlds. Kind of like the mirror side for like uh, Zelda or something like okay. that. And even the worlds of other Stephen King books are accessible through through the Midworld. And uh, the Midworld hellscape used to be this advanced empire, but it fell during some war and looks sort of like an Old West Lord of the Rings. And now we're getting to the train. Uh, and this is a Western, so you got to have a train. And, but since this is Midworld, the hub of all worlds, this is a sentient train that has gone mad. And that's Blaine the Mono. You know, you show up and you're like, I got my ticket. I booked in advance. We're here early at the platform. We're waiting in an orderly line. And you get there. You just want to take a nice monorail ride. And the monorail has gone mad. Uh, yes. And how? <laughs> it's, it's, very, it's, very, it's very scary. If I had a dollar, and see, and this is also a time where you can't do like people do now. You can't tweet at the monorail and be like, you lost my luggage at monorail. When I got there, he was mad. <laughs> He'd been there, sitting there so long. Y'all ain't kept him up and he went crazy. At Blaine the Motto, uh, this is disgraceful customer service. Hashtag Blaine is lame. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've said this before, but I hate people who tweet at airlines. Please don't do it. Please, I hate it. Don't do it. It won't help you. It won't help you at all. Just DM them. So Blaine didn't used to be crazy, uh, but he went crazy because he's been sitting idle over the centuries. He was colored pink. He's two wheel. They call, uh, I think, like sort of like miles, two, two wheels long. His top speed is over 900 miles per hour with a sonic boom. And um, 
He's aware of other worlds outside of Midworld and enjoys doing impressions of old movie stars. You can imagine Stephen King likes like corny, creepy stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, there's that's um, a whole lot in one character. So he's really pleasant, but he can turn on a dime if you don't do what he says. He's like a child. I love stuff like that. And he's obsessed with making people solve riddles. And in book three, he challenges the group to a riddle contest or else he's going to drive them off the end of the monorail at 900 miles per hour. Okay, what? don't do that. <laughs> so... I, th- I liked this uh, this guy a lot because he's a great representation of the ancient tech trope. Um, AIs commonly are like kiosks and service terminals and stuff. And I think the ancient tech stuff is so cool because they expand your perception, not just of like physical space in the universe, but chronology. It's almost more exciting to find an ancient tech than like a contemporary alien to me because it means that existence did not begin and end with the existence of humans. It it gives you a new perspective of your importance in the world, I think. Yeah. So uh, I liked, I liked, I liked that a lot. Um, Also, I guess it was kind of interesting because it gets us thinking about all this tech that's so disposable and we're not thinking about uh, the long-term life of it uh, and and, and what happens to it. That Tamagotchi wants your companionship. That's right. Change its batteries. And feed it, please. <laughs> no, but hang on to that thought about uh, ancient tech. Yes. Because it, will, it, will, com- it will come back. Okay. Maybe sooner than you think. Number seven. Maybe it will come back now at number <laughs> seven. <laughs> at number seven in the countdown, I give you Light Hope from She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. Excellent. Excellent. That's a that's exactly what we're talking about. So so that's the new one. So the, obviously the new one. If you listened to our Masters of the Universe podcast, you may remember that Light Hope in the original She-Ra was like very smug and very to the point and he was just like a bunch of lights that lived on top of Skydancer Mountain in a castle and it was just weird. It was, it was sort of like Zordon from the Power Rangers. Is that his name? I don't, I don't. Welcome, Rangers. Yes, you know. and he had a very deep voice, which I actually loved. I mean, like, I'm not, the characterization was hilarious to me because I love the deep voice. I love the deep voice Swift, Swiftwind as yeah. well, too. So, like, whatever. But it, he is just this ridiculous character who was just like, throw him in there when we need to get some information quick to the point because he knows everything and he's just going to tell you. Hordak is threatening the unicorns on Unicorn. So Light Hope was a bit of a ridiculous character, although I was very fond of that Light Hope as well. Now, in the new She-Ra, Light Hope is um, an AI Uh designed by the first ones Mm -hmm. whose whose purpose is to unite Adora with the sword. Okay. And then there's way more than that, but that'll get you started. And she takes the appearance of um, a very tall purple skinned bald woman mm-hmm. with like well I would say like sort of a purpley brown and then purple um robe and like bell shaped ball gown and then her cloak has circuitry on it oh that's yeah that's cool yeah it's a good look light hope where did I come from <laughs> The Horde stole you, turned you into a soldier for their war. I could not stop them. So I watched 
and waited for the day I could unite you with the sword. And she's okay. supposed to be, I think, I'm guessing she's supposed to like resemble a first one, probably. Yes, we, we would think, you know, and that's, of course, one of the big mysteries of the series is to learn about the first ones and what they were doing and what the importance was of this She-Ra figure. While the original Light Hope was uh, very hilariously to the point, this Light Hope is frustratingly obtuse, and we have a lot of scenes with She-Ra trying to figure out like what's going on and what she's saying and her programming doesn't allow her to give the kind of answers that that Adora wants. That's another thing you'll see a lot with these these ancient texts. A lot of stuff's like locked or whatever, which works really well for a story. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, and of course, like you know, you that just from a writing perspective too, you want something that has a little mystery to unlock, uh -huh. right? Cuz you can't just have this omniscient puddle of lights. It's like Here's what's happening, Shira. Let me tell you. Hordak made a deal with, like, you, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, he would just tell you straight up everything that's happening. Hordak found it while testing a new Horde invention. And it's much more interesting when the steward guiding you is corrupted and imperfect, but still just gives you this tantalizing peak of a really, really advanced civilization that you don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. So anyways, this is a cool character. That's all. Watch the new She-Ra. Don't be an old bastard. <laughs> it's good. It is really good. And I love the old one too. Watch them all. Watch I really everything. love that scene in the new She-Ra where, uh, because I think like Light Hope's battery is low and it finishes talking, she sort of like glitches out and She-Ra's like, okay. And just like backs out of the room because it's creepy looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good show. This is good, great characters, great character moments throughout. Number six. All right, I couldn't possibly pick another Star Trek pick, although I could have had several from Star Trek here. So I'm going to do... Fingers crossed. I'm going to go to the other thing, which is Mass Effect. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, you didn't do Star Trek. I was about to panic, Will, because we did not discuss something. Okay, go on. Go ahead. Go okay. ahead. This Nothing. Is... Just don't listen. It's fine. Don't worry. Uh, they actually did have a kiosk very similar to Light Hope in Mass Effect, but I didn't pick that. I picked Edie, the Enhanced Defense Intelligence aboard the spaceship Normandy. So this is a spaceship AI. Okay. Give me the ship. What? You're crazy. You start singing Daisy Bell and I'm done. Unlock my sealed databases and I can initiate countermeasures. The maintenance shaft in the science lab will allow passage to the AI core. Main corridors are no longer safe. The collectors have boarded. We talked about Mass Effect during the Aliens episode we did. Um, and this is that great space RPG series for all the video game systems. Uh, that's about these civilizations that are connected by mysterious relays that um, are installed throughout the galaxy. And there's this growing ancient threat from way out beyond dark space. But uh, so Edie is the artificial intelligence on board your uh, main character's spaceship, the Normandy. Uh, she's kind of like Cortana from Halo, but less... I don't know, lame now because it's a phone. Uh, she starts out as this holographic sphere that you can access at different terminals and she gives you logistic information but is also trying to learn and is expanding beyond her programming like all good AI do. But the drama here is that Edie is probably the eyes and ears for a sketchy mercenary group that you have to cooperate with. And she wants to help, but maybe she's also being really clever and uh, trying to trick you and you're not sure. She's sort of like a dangerous Alexa. I was just going to say, that's <laughs> what we all think Alexa is doing secretly. I'm glad you brought that up because this was the reason I picked, I picked this one is because I think she really highlights the trust issues that we have with a lot of AI. Um, we talked about the monorail, you know, that's, 
<laughs> messed up. But these um, smart systems are built by other companies. I mean, do you find yourself worrying about your phone or devices spying on you? Like, is your data being used for spying beyond ad retargeting? Yes, it happens. I mean, I'm not worried about it because like, fine, just sell me some more decorative pillows. I don't care. I don't have any salacious secrets for the phone to find out, but it is disturbing. It is something we just accept as fact. You know what happens. They are data mining you at every turn. I think it is too. I have a hard time believing that Facebook's not using it for something sketchy. Of course. And even the very fact that, you know, like that they can use any voluntary information that we've given them for facial recognition programming. That's really, that's real. Turn into like a messed up RoboCop situation. Uh, Yes, you can. And places like Hong Kong, this has actually been a real situation Uh on the ground where you have to worry about facial recognition. And that's why they have all those awesome things that project new faces over your face, Uh which is amazing. But anyway, (laughs) no, but it's, it's a real concern. I mean, and just because I don't have a foil hat on about it and I'm too nihilistic to get too worried about it, doesn't mean that it's not disturbing. Mm -hmm. Because and it's interesting because it used to be that we would worry about the government doing this because right before we were, everybody was just had to have an iPhone. I remember there was like a number of very specific Boing Boing articles that if you visited them, them you were on the uh, Bush administration's watch list. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, now we worry about the companies, not right. the government. And they're right. sort of like making their own codes of, about free speech and everything and it's kind of messed up they have that kind of power it is a little weird eventually Edie proves to be a good guy and she has this developing relationship with the pilot played by Seth Green and she's Trisha Helfer by the way from oh okay <laughs> yeah there we go and he eventually stops referring to it and starts saying her and this may be a good companion pick to one of your picks that I think you might have because she finds a body. And on one hand, yes, it's kind of lame. Like, yeah, we got to have the sexy AI. But also it's pretty cool because the story ends up being about that bridge between organic and synthetic life. And she's a good representation for that. So I think I think that was pretty cool. Okay. I do think it's kind of a cop out when they're like, let's find a body. <laughs> then I want what I want is a human body. If you had your intelligence spread everywhere would you really want a clunky human body is that really what you would long for i'd be like okay build me like a mecha godzilla or something to roam around in okay then i can see long whatever yeah it it is (laughs) actually i you should remember that because one of the picks i have plays with that but i guess i'd find that most realistic if the ai developed a relationship with someone and felt like to really be a companion for them they had to embody something they could interact i suppose with. that's true but maybe you have access to all kinds of other sensory information and you wouldn't want to it's 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 hard to say you probably wouldn't fall in love with seth green if you had access to all intelligence oh he's pretty charming <laughs> Yeah. Man, just like we fell in love with him on the big screen. <laughs> uh, you want me to go crawling through the ducts again? I enjoy the sight of humans on their knees. That is a joke. I was just going to add to close this one up is that uh, a lot of times we have these dystopian stories about how we can't trust them, um, you know, especially or we shouldn't give tech the ability to learn and write its own instructions. But I think it's kind of interesting because like this is an example of a story where maybe devices will save us from their own creators. You know what I mean? They'll expand beyond their programming yeah. and they won't do what Facebook told them to do. I like that. Hold on to that. Okay. Hold on to that because that's that's important. Got it. That's important when they can make their own decisions. Number five. 
I'm so excited to talk about this yet again. At number five, I bring you, on a technicality, I'll make my argument for it, Mr. House, Fallout New Vegas. Oh, great. I was thinking about a house, uh, house AI. So, Mr. House, okay, all right. So, I'm going to just start at the, like, I'm not going to start at the very beginning, but technically... He was a human mm -hmm. who merged with machine and he put his consciousness in a vast network of computers and he reinforced his body with a vast network of life support in I, a hibernation I think suit. that's really interesting and I have one that's sort of like that too. I think that will be more likely than somebody creating an AI from the ground up as we'll gradually elide into other yeah. types of beings. So I think this counts because you can't, like that is an artificial intelligence. Especially that, if he like decompensated his body into some other type of form. Yes. And so that's why I think it counts because yeah. is once you put your brain into a massive computer network, it's no longer like it's, it's greater than the sum of its yes. parts. It's barely even you anymore. We used to say at work with Scott he used to get all these monitors and all this extra stuff to do his job. And it was just such overkill. We used to laugh so much. We used to say one day Scott's going to turn around. His eyes going to be glowing yellow and he's going to go, we are Legion. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought you said one day he's going to turn around and his head's going to be a monitor. Too. <laughs> It's another, yes. it's monitors, yes. it's all monitors all the way down. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I've already discussed Fallout New Vegas in length in our Rangers episode. And uh, I'll just say it again quickly. This is the 2010 um, Fallout game sequel that was Bethesda slash mostly developed by Obsidian Entertainment uh -huh. that took place in the Mojave Wasteland. Um, and I love it. It's the clunkiest just messiest, dumbest game, most awkward in so many ways. But as we have discussed before, um, there's something about a game that is imperfectly rendered that allows you to put your own imagination uh -huh. onto it in a way that like, I just can't and won't do with games that are more tidy and more on the rails. We had this that exact problem with Red Dead Redemption 2. Yes, I was actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was a game that I desperately wanted to play and wanted to enjoy, but I just felt squicked out the whole time because I'm like, I know too much about this dude, and this is way too cinematic. Yeah, it's like, you are him. This is his life. It's like being stuck behind his eyes, like an inner yes. space or something. It's like, I can control what I shoot, but that's, you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's this, <laughs> who is he? You but can't But we feel really like he's resisting him. it, like the controller knobs pushing your thumb. <laughs> like, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Hold like, on, Hoss. <laughs> no. And I just, like, I just am not a fan of games that are too on the rails. So the difference is I don't want to watch a story. I want to immerse myself in a world that's full of its own stories. Uh -huh. Then there, that is a key distinction. There's a very big difference. So this character in Fallout New Vegas, Mr. House, is a combo of Howard Hughes, Charles Foster Kane, and Walt Disney. Great. Okay. Uh, okay. So yeah, like that's, yeah. that's like the that. three combo right there. Um, we hadn't talked about like heads in a jar uh, very much, but they're, uh, they're sort of in the same family as this. I'm, I'm going to oh, hold yeah. on to that moan head. Sorry. Yeah, Please yes, proceed. Think about heads in a jar, okay. as you often do. Okay. Um, so he was a super wealthy capitalist, and he fashioned himself into an autocrat in Las Vegas pre-war. 
And he knew that the war in 2077 was coming because he did a bunch of computer algorithms and saw it inevitably before anyone else. And so he took crazy steps to keep himself in power. Oh, and so he that's why he, it. Yeah, that's why, and that's why he made himself the hibernation suit and set up defenses in Las Vegas so that Las Vegas would survive the nuclear attack. And it worked. Oh, come now, don't play the fool. Vegas has fools enough, a superfluity of them. They're what makes it so profitable. They come to Vegas chasing penny-ante dreams of high living to feel like they're big shots, like they're winners. You see that you and I are of a different stripe, don't you? We don't have to dream that we're important. We are. What's kind of cool about this is that he's just one of the many factions that you could interact with, ally with, or go against in in the game. Because he's there and you get to go hang out with Mr. House and have a suite in his uh, in his casino. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. But then, like, also, for a man who is ultra-powerful and his body is literally an army of robots... I mean, you know, that he can deploy mm -hmm. at will with his brain. You can still be wily and choose, I, I don't know, to work around him, work through him, or work with him. And anyway, it's just it's a really fun character. Yeah. And uh, when you go there, it is really super fun because you go up and he's like on a giant screen and he has this like handsome mustache face. Not unlike Walt Disney. Yeah. He actually looks very similar. Yeah, I, I don't really know if there's anything more to say about that, except for I am really tempted to go back and play New Vegas again just because I haven't in a while, and that would be fun. And, Will, you know we love this. Here's one more beautiful point. He was voiced by Rene Aubergenois. Oh, really? Yes! I did not know that. We're always on the lookout for, like, minor Star Trek actors in how they appear yeah. in, in all kinds of places. How cool. Isn't that funny? I know they tapped Michael Dorn for every warrior in every video game. That's awesome Rene got to do that. That's cool. Yeah. I, I like that you brought up the idea of somebody choosing uh, this other type of existence, because that'll go into my next pick really well. Ew. Well, let's have it. Number four. The year is 2029. The machines will convince us that they are conscious, that they have their own agenda worthy of our respect. They'll embody human qualities. They'll claim to be human, and we'll believe them. Uh, speaking earlier of tech left over from ancient civilizations, I want to talk for a minute about a secret track from one of my favorite CDs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is the artificial intelligence named Molly from the Our Lady Peace album called Spiritual Machines. And she appears in this uh, spoken, uh, like, dramatic segment at the end of the album where she's talking with futurist Ray Kurzweil. Uh, before I get into that, can I ask you, What's your favorite hidden track or ones that you remember? The biggest one that I remember was the one at the end of Nirvana's Nevermind. Mm -hmm, I think I think that was the that was the coolest one because like when you put that on and you've listened to this very polished product that Butch Vig was very proud of, you uh -huh. know. And then you 
let your CD player just keep playing because it's like bedtime, and then it comes on, and you're like, ah, like what? Uh, which one? Which what song was that? Was, that? I, was it, it something in the way? No, no, no. It was after that one. It was. I think the official title of it was "Endless Nameless." That's it. Yes, you're right. Yeah, and it just it was a bunch of like garbage noise. Like it okay. really was. Well, just very... what you want to hear is you're drifting off. Exactly. That's my that's my most memorable hidden track. I was looking at... Uh, some... This was before the internet. We just had to like learn I it on know, our own. I know. I mean, I'm sure most people know this is like recorded stuff that happens many, many seconds or minutes after the end of a compact disc. I remember the one from the uh, Tool album where it had like the weird sermon about the uh, carrot apocalypse. Oh, yeah. Um, and see, another thing you have to remember, youngsters, is that it's not like today when you always have a visual representation of how long a track is and yeah. how much left there is to go. On most CD players in like 92, 93, it would just show you what track number you were on. So yeah. It would just be like 12. Yeah, exactly. And it would just say 12. And it wouldn't tell and you'd be you at 17 you. minutes and you hear it start. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't tell you anything else. Just 12. I am not someone who gets stuck in a musical rut and gets stuck in a certain period. But from the 90s, I think one of the best, most underrated albums was Spiritual Machines uh, from Our Lady Peace. And I think the first three Our Lady Peace albums were like very interesting proggy stuff from that era with some really cool weird guitar ideas and that really cool falsetto stuff that their singer did. It sounded like like storytelling singing. It reminded me of like Roger Waters from The Wall or something. Uh, if you don't know this band, they were the ones that had that big hit Superman's Dead, but they also did really other interesting stuff after that. So this was a concept album, Spiritual Machines, and it was really under the radar. It was based on a book called The Age of Spiritual Machines from the inventor and futurist Ray Kurzweil, the same guy who founded like Kurzweil keyboards and stuff. And he's the guy who really popularized the idea of the singularity, which is the moment when a computer would definitively pass the Turing test. Hang on now. Have I forgotten that he was the Kurzweil of Kurzweil keyboards? He is. And he did Are a, you serious? And he did a lot for speech to text. Yes. How did I forget that? <laughs> well, he did. I mean, he does a lot of a lot of that robotic stuff because he works at MIT, you know, and, but that was... And he's like, and on the weekends, I'm in an awesome, like, prog band where we play keyboard solos. Like, yeah. Yes. I had to remind myself when I looked this up, he actually founded the company with Stevie Wonder and some other guy. So that's pretty cool. So well, I know what my next keyboard is going to be. <laughs> so I was talking about uh, the AI Molly. Uh, she is uh, like this conceit in his book, The Age of Spiritual Machines, that he like checks in with her throughout the book to sort of like give a narrative to a lot of the weird concepts he's talking about. And it's uh, a good way to give you an imagination of what it's like to share an existence with this other type of being. Right. Are you saying that you're a machine now? Molly. A machine? That's really not for me to say. It's like asking me if I'm Brian or inspiring. I guess the word machine in 2099 doesn't have quite the same connotations that it has here in 1999. But here's the here's the really interesting thing is that a lot of Ray Kurzweil's work is about artificial intelligence is inspired by this dream he has to revive the mind of his deceased father. Every interview. Oh God, read, Will, don't even start talking to me about deceased fathers. This is this is big. This is a big <laughs> connection. Hold on to that. Oh my God. Okay, so don't mention it yet. No, please mention okay. it a lot. Okay, well, I was saying I, that in a dramatic way. Okay, well, I won't have uh, a ton here, but I was just going to say that he wants to live long enough to see the singularity, so that we can fight our biological limitations. So he can see this happen, and you can already imagine there are tons of philosophical challenges there. 
uh, namely, if you revive an intelligence uh, in another medium, like a computer terminal, is it the same person? Um, or is it somebody like we talked about with just the same brain map? So it's it's kind of kind of interesting to think about. <laughs> let okay. me let me ask you let me ask you this. It reminds me of the philosophical question about Star Trek teleportation, which they are uh, rearranging your molecules from one area to another. Are you the same person after you have been teleported? Of course, yes. You think so? Because the self is, as we have said, the sum of your experiences. And even if your molecules got, I mean, like, they got put back together. It's like you put a puzzle together in another room. It's still the same puzzle. It's still like the unicorns or whatever. I like I like that because that's how I was going to close with this is a lot of people, I think, kind of recoil from some of the stuff Ray Kurz was talking about because it seems sort of like uh, these ideas sort of subsume the importance of a soul or spirituality. But like the book says, for him, this is a spiritual request. He talks about... Um, the point of energy is to seek increasing complexity, and he sees our journey as constantly moving toward increased complexity to a more godlike state where an evolving pattern rather than a specific collection of molecules. And I really like that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Number three. Now, it's not going to sound like my next pick has anything to do with that, but be patient. Four, my number three pick is Synergy from Jim and the Holograms. That's perfect. I was hoping you would pick that one. Who or what are you? I am Synergy, a holographic computer designed to be the ultimate audiovisual entertainment synthesizer. Your father spent years developing me. Father made you? Yes, and now I belong to you. I can generate completely realistic holograms, like this. Oh! And I can change your appearances, like this. <laughs> Kimber, you never looked so good. It was almost my number one, and you'll see why it's not in a moment. Okay. You just talked about, I like, I guess I didn't even know the story about how Ray Kurzweil needed, um, like wanted to reconstruct his father's intelligence. Oh God, Mm -hmm. that, that like hit me. I may, I'm sorry. I may start getting emotional and I'm going to try not to. And I don't even know why, like whatever. Well, I love this. This is why this, this topic is so interesting to me because I really do believe that biology is not the beginning and end of our existence. It is a technology that is working well for now, but it does not have to be the beginning and end for us. So the story of Jim and the Holograms, when it begins in the pilot, uh, we are dealing with a person named Jerrica Benton, who has recently lost her father, like very recently. And she's an adult, a young adult. Um, She has now been bequeathed like his shares in a music company where they work together, Starlight Music. And um, also, I believe her, her, so her father was like a wealthy inventor dude who had a streak of kindness. And he also took in orphan children, including mm-hmm. her and her half sister, Shayna. Okay. Okay. This, well, whatever. Not important. But the thing is, the story of loss is indelibly written on this really silly 1980s cartoon, Gem and the Holograms. <laughs> Okay, I say it's silly on the surface, but Christy Marks, the writer for the show, wrote the ever-living out of it. Like, I don't even know what to tell you. 
She wrote this show to perfection. Well, they gave her like some dolls and was like, make a show. Exactly. And she took it seriously and wrote a She wrote good a fantastic show. show and the dolls were not even good. Screw the dolls. The uh-huh. dolls are just, who cares? But okay, so the AI in question, Synergy. She's an AI house in a computer and she lives behind a holographic wall at a drive-in movie theater. And so her deal and her power is that she generates incredibly lifelike holograms. And she was an invention of Jerrica's late father. All right. So just at Jerrica's low point where she realizes that she's got to do all of this stuff without her father. She's got to run the business with her father's secret slime ball business partner, Eric Raymond, uh-huh. who is like the main antagonist in the first seasons of the show. And that their starlight house, their their home for wait for orphaned girls, uh-huh. um, is falling into disrepair. Just at this moment where she's reached her low in the pilot, the inciting incident is that they discover synergy. Synergy is, um, at first glance, three banks of keyboards with a center screen that shows a woman, purple skin, grayed out eyes, purple hair. She projects herself sometimes to be like, like to have a, a human body, and she's wearing like a really cute leotard with like an atom on it. Okay, I so like synergy that. Synergy is adorable, first of all, and will essentially become her secret weapon to come into her own and take over the world, like on her own terms. And she's gonna do that by projecting holograms so that they can have gear to make an awesome band (laughs) and to make an awesome stage show and basically it's just like here's all the outfits you're ever going to need they're all holographic i can make you look any way you want to in like five seconds with your magic earrings and so you have all the pieces to become a world famous rock star and that is how you're going to save starlight music (laughs) this is the task that you have been given jerica Holograms, clothes, musical instruments, this car. I I can't believe Father kept it all a secret. Wait, I have it. I know how to stop Eric Raymond. In this world, all we want is to feel that someone has left us in a position to be able to fight the battles of life. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm like, seriously. And this is so, like, close to my heart. Because, I mean, I watched the show when I was, like, little. I watched the show, obviously, even before my father passed. Like, I mean, this show was, was, like, mid to late 80s. He passed in 1989. And it's not until I am an adult and have watched this as an adult that how poignant it has really hits me. We all want to feel like, I don't know, our father's hand somewhere. Whether mm-hmm. you're meaning that literally, like Ray Kurzweil wanting to reconstruct his father's intelligence, or people just wanting to feel like there's some force bigger than you who's helping you through life. Like, synergy being the way that uh, she can do that, and... um for us to just feel like we get a fair shake in this world to fight all the people who are bad. Yeah. And then number three, to do that through the power of rock and roll is just an extra. (laughs) 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 But this is a fantastic show. And like, where, like, you know, even I'm close to 40 years old, like where's my synergy? Like I just, I just, sometimes you just really feel like you want that help. And the fact that it was a gift from her late father, I think makes it even more bittersweet. Mm Mm-hmm. But of course, she's already capable enough to to solve her problems. Um, She just has some added help now. She just gets a a fair advantage 
and people like Eric Raymond are already running the world, and um, they already have an unfair advantage. So I can see why this one resonate uh, for you a lot because I feel like you were really charmed by the like powerful '80s businesswoman yes. like that that is the agent for change that you want like you were talking about like the linda carter wonder woman yes and like nine to five dolly parton and like th- there's there's something you know it's cheesy when you think about it but it, in a lot of ways that's a lot more powerful than some of the things we're seeing now and it's yeah, pretty, pretty you, cool you've got to wield the tools of capitalism to just yes right it. maybe that's what it is because we're we're being run by a, a corporate government, so yeah. this seems like it's more and more important. Yeah, you've got to you got to get to wield the tools of this patriarchy. To, I mean, whatever. <laughs> it like for me to say that this is like way better written than any '80s kid show had any right to be. It's true. It's it really much, is. It's like it a really soap opera that, like, if you just ignore that they're even cartoons, then you can even just like enjoy it. And what's really funny, for as fantastical as this concept is. Most of the conflicts in the show are very realistic. There's like, uh, the venue has back taxes on it, and how <laughs> who's gonna pay the twenty five thousand dollars? Like, it's all stuff like that. So anyway, good lord, watch this show. You have to. It's a good one. Number two. Okay, I think we have a good flow here because all these thematic things seem to run into to the next one. Um, we talked about uh, phones earlier and trusting tech. This is Samantha, the AI virtual assistant from the 2013 film, Her, starring Joaquin Phoenix oh, and Scarlett Johansson. Boo. That's fine. That's fine. Make your case. Did you watch this? Yes, we, we, watch watched this we watched this together, I think. Okay. I was just, I, well, the thing that irritated me about this film, and I'll say it, and then you make your case, okay. was that, from what I understood, um, Joaquin played against a different woman, yes. and he did his whole role with someone else, and then they dubbed over her to make it Scarlett Johansson yes. to make it more marketable, which yes. is ridiculous because you don't even see her. But it's like, but we need to know she's sexy. You know uh, what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like what? Like anyway. That's 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 a perfect setup. I do I do want to talk about that. So I'm glad you remembered that. So like barf number one, <laughs> but number two. Okay, fine, but fine. We all know that Joaquin Phoenix is a very weird man who is good at acting. Yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly. All right. Exactly. Um, we'll return to what you said though. Okay. Um, but I think the easiest way to explain this movie, if you had to give the elevator pitch, it's about a man who falls in love with his phone, right? Okay. Yes. So this is the story of Joaquin Theodore, who's unhappy because of his upcoming divorce. And we see that he struggles to connect with people. His job is that he writes greeting cards. So then he gets his virtual assistant who names herself Samantha. And they start to bond over their conversations about life and love. And he learns that some other people he knows have also started relationships with their VIs. Mr. Theodore Twombly. Welcome to the world's first artificially intelligent operating system. We'd like to ask you a few questions. Okay. Are you social or antisocial? I guess I haven't been social in a while. How would you describe your relationship with your mother? Thank you. Please wait as your operating system is initiated. Hello, I'm here. Hi. Hi, I'm Samantha. Good morning, Theodore. Good morning. You have a meeting in five minutes. You want to try getting out of bed? You're too funny. There are, in real life, AI programs that you can message with. I I think there was um, a story about this on This American Life. Could you imagine finding value in that? I mean, I'm asking sincerely, like, can you imagine that there's much value in that? I mean, not for me personally, but for humanity, yes. 
because I've just even, I, I'm, I think we do we have think about comfort bots and like Japanese oh, senior yeah. homes and stuff. We certainly have evidence that we are living uh, a life that is very bereft of intimacy. And I think anything we can do to, um, enhance that sense of intimacy with, with anything can only make us develop our empathy more and to make us kinder, better people. And therefore I think it is definitely a, a thing that is certainly shouldn't be frowned upon as, as AIs, uh, develop. Ah, boy, I'm, I'm, I am glad you said that too, because, um, I'm, I'm sort of skipping ahead, but one of the things I wanted to talk about was it's kind of creepy how a lot of AI in real life and in fiction are these, uh, like service applications. They are all sort of like, and you can understand why, because they come out of uh, like diagnostic stuff or whatever, like computers that get an upgrade. But also there's an element of, um, you know, the people writing these stories, wanting them to be the, be that way. They want them to conform to their wishes and not challenge them um, in some way, you know? And that's why, you know, like a lot of them are like female voices or something. You know what I mean? There's uh-huh. just sort of exceed to your wishes. And I will give this movie credit for reckoning with that a little bit because they start to have some challenges. They get to a point where Samantha wants to be embodied somehow. And so they hire a sex surrogate to, and that sort of is weird for them. And at one point he finds out that her perception of the world is different enough without me giving it away that he feels a bit betrayed and so it's not this perfect um, service application, this perfect service package that's just um, tailor-made to his wants and desires. So I will give them credit for that because they don't, they don't have to do that. But you'll see this a lot with like spaceship AIs and stuff like that. It's like, or uh, like the weird science thing. Like it's the sexy computer lady who makes me comfortable and doesn't challenge me the way that regular women do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's what a real relationship is. You, you are supposed to be challenged by the other person and see yourself from a step back. And I feel like a lot of people who really want this uh, AI companionship in these stories sometimes want the exact opposite and assume that's the way it's supposed to be. (laughs) Yes, which is disturbing, but I do also think that anyone who develops any kind of a bond with anything will develop more imaginative capacity for emotions. Oh, I like that. And I sort of feel like they might manufacture their own drama and their own challenges. And of course, it comes out of your own psyche. So it'll come out anyway, or it will have a good... So we'll get there no yeah, matter what. That's kind of what I think, Interesting. Honestly. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. See, this, this just makes me believe even more that we are ready for, or it is inevitable that we will see uh, uh, another type of being. I don't even like calling an artificial intelligence. That seems pejorative to me. I would call it like a synthesized intelligence or something like that. Okay. Um, but anyway... I was just going to say more to the movie's credit, it would have been easy to write this as a dystopia. And I'm not quite sure that that's what they did. Um, I think they presented more of a difficult thing for us to grapple with. Um, And you mentioned that they replaced uh, the actress, Samantha Morton uh, as the VI with um, (laughs) Scarlett Johansson. I did see what she said about that. She was very diplomatic and said all the right things, but she said she thought of it like, um, a beautiful painting that she knows exists, but it's in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> Girl. Like a, like a discarded VI or something. Uh, yeah, like a Tamagotchi that you, you need to go feed. Yes, <laughs> it's very interesting. That is very interesting. I would actually, no, they would never do that, but I would like to 
watch the movie with her Me performance, too. honestly. Me you too. Know? She said it. She said she recognizes the director's prerogative and she recognizes they were very different performances. She says they're both uh, two very different, very beautiful flower bouquets. So <laughs> there you go. She's very, very graceful about it. <laughs> Yeah, no, that movie could have been infuriating, but it wasn't. It right. was just that was that detail was going. It was, it, it was hard. I, I have a hard time with um, A-list actors in movies anyway. Yeah, me too. Before we name our number one pick, we feel compelled to share some honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. Okay, I have some good honorable mentions. Uh, obviously, we have Hal from 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah, Odyssey. I put him on He's there. He's great. He's the perfect... Uh, dystopian AI. yeah it is i was like i could watch this three-hour movie or i could just put it in the honorable mention so that's what I <laughs> yes did. no but y- yes that's all- a good movie by no, the way we must all acknowledge it's yes good. yes yes um attack track from he-man <laughs> uh, well i think he his his buddy's pretty ambulatory he's really more of a robot but i'll give this to uh, you i don't know he does have an ai yeah 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 he hates ram man he does hate um, ram man. uh okay here's a weird one that i love is the uh what do you call like the a Garmin, like the uh, the things you used to get in your cards your phone does now, the map uh-huh. tracker things? What do you call those? Uh, I forget what you call those. But anyway, it was like a Garmin. But anyway, it's the uh, map tracker thing from Squidbillies, the episode where Early gets one. Oh, yeah. And he's always like, Early, do you want to go 2.1 miles, take a right 2.3 miles, and pick up some beef jerky? And he's like, No. And, and it's <laughs> so that funny. I, that was a good episode. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, I would say the ghost in the shell spider bots that are like cute little robots. Uh, Danger, the Danger Room AI from the X-Men. Ooh, that's and a uh, Wally, who knows love. He does. And to that, I would just add um, Jane from Ender's Saga. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't put her on the list, though, because apparently there's a whole lot of stuff about her being an artificial life and not an artificial intelligence. And it just got on my nerves. And okay. I was just like, whatever. Okay. And then also, she also did the annoying thing with like, I need a body. Those books got way off the rails yeah. toward the end. They, Sometimes like, I like that. Like I in liked, Dune, I like when they got crazy. Well, but I liked some of the crazy stuff. I like, I loved the crazy stuff about the piggies and the sentient trees and all that. I uh-huh. love all that but i didn't love all the maybe i want a body so i can be in love with your half son whatever (laughs) it's weird it's all weird anyways she's on the honorable mentions but right okay so who's your number one ai of all time number one i thought this may be obnoxious but i feel like i want to i want to start by explaining explaining it before I say Look, it. Look, right? I read the entire Dark Tower series before <laughs> I got to why I picked it. So go ahead. Okay, okay. No, so um just what we've been talking about, especially these recent picks. Um what I want to say is that to me it seems like what we really want out of AI is better humanity than what we're capable of doing ourselves. Okay. Right? And It's maybe our far-fetched hope, but it's nonetheless a very real hope that if we teach a machine how to do the best things people can do, that they can do it and they will do it and they will become very real friends. Okay. And they will do things for you that a friend would do. Like the cat litter robot. Yes. (laughs) Except for better. Uh Because my pick for number one AI is none other than Vic Fontaine, Star Trek DS9. 
The ultimate. So the Hollow Suite counts as AI. Don't at me, yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Man, Vic Fontaine. I guess I was waiting for the. I you you bit him first. Man, I love Vic Fontaine. Okay. Let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So Vic Vic Fontaine was a 24th century human hologram on Deep Space Nine, created as part of a program simulating 1962 Las Vegas on Earth. So first of all, can I just say? I don't care about Las Vegas. I've never been there. But I don't you picked two Las Vegas but I know. IIs. I don't love crooners. I don't care about the Rat Pack. I don't like. I don't like any of that. But I love Vic Fontaine. Yeah, me too. Okay, so riddle me that. So he was like a singer entertainer hologram. But the, but again, the people, the beings in the Hollow Suite, as it was called on Deep Space Nine. Uh-huh. They were artificial intelligences because they had to react in real time, of course, to the to the people that they had on the hollow mm-hmm. programs. Okay, so his hollow program um, was like a very like it was a favorite among the Deep Space Nine crew because they got to come in there and he had like a little Vegas lounge and he would do his act and he would sing, and everybody like grew to love him or whatever. But I think what we all remember the most about Vic Fontaine, if you've not seen the series, I'll just go ahead and tell you, see, season seven is where this one is. And uh, there's an episode called It's Only a Paper Moon. Uh-huh. There's an episode where Nog, the young Ferengi, who's the son of Quark. Who is the, the entire heart of that series and and top tier character in Star Trek. Yes. So Nog um, has come back from the Dominion War where he was injured in the line of duty mm-hmm. and he lost a leg. Mm-hmm. And this episode is about him coming back and dealing with the trauma of that happening to him. And he winds up going just, he, he winds up going through the hollow program with Vic Fontaine to just kind of get away from it all and becoming more and more, involved in it and withdrawing more and more from the people who loved him Mm -hmm. um, until it became an issue and like they had to talk to him about it. And of course this is Aaron Eisenberg's, you know, best moment in the series where he gets to deliver his speech about how it was something he never thought could happen to him until it did and how he just didn't have an imagination for it and couldn't come to terms with it. And essentially Vic Fontaine had to show him tough love by terminating his own program Uh because he said, you know, you can be afraid of dying in the real world or you can stay in here and die a little bit by a little bit. And so by doing that and refusing to boot up the program until Nog was back to living his life like he should have been. um, It was just this ultimate act of like beauty and compassion. Yeah. From a stupid hologram about Las Vegas, okay? It's ridiculous, but it's like it's like the heart of the whole show. And Vic Fontaine is a wonderful character. You don't seem hollow to me. Compared to you, I'm hollow as a snare drum. Look, kid, I don't know what's going to happen to you out there. All I can tell you is that you've got to play the cards life deals you. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But at least you're in the game. And everyone he was is, so good. It yeah. seemed like such a like a throwaway idea that they kept bringing him back. He was, I know. It sounds stupid He's on so his face. charming. He's such a good actor. And he really helped expose a lot of uh, drama for the characters. I mean, he was he was great to talk to. He was like, I mean, he was kind of like a, a whoopee. He's kind of like Guinan from Next Gen for them. Yeah. Uh, but um, less expositional, I think. It was really good. 
Yeah, and, and, you know, he was technically an artificial intelligence, but he was beloved by them and, I would argue, did an act of love for them. Of course. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's, this, this is where it just, like, this, like it was really funny because right before we did this episode, like, I had some thoughts occur to me when I was taking my notes. And, like, I started crying. And Will was like, what is going on? And I'm like, no, oh, I thought about something that made me emotional. But um, if you remember these sorts of things, there was a really beautiful speech that Fred Rogers gave in his 1997 Emmy, I think it was his Lifetime Achievement Award, uh-huh. where he starts it off by by asking everyone to consider, quote, the people who have loved you into existence. And mm-hmm. like, like, honestly, like that phrase is really, I just think one of the most beautiful things that like anyone has ever mm-hmm. said. And I guess that's why when we're talking about what we can do as, as human beings, like what we can accomplish, I love to think that we could love these things into existence. Like we can create an intelligence that can love us back, Mm -hmm. honestly. And like, wouldn't that be the pinnacle of human achievement? Oh my God. (laughs) I don't know why. uh, I'm a mess. Don't listen. No, that makes total sense. And it doesn't have to be biological. It's, it's, it's just as a legitimate and loving act to do. Yes. And so anyway, I love Big Fontaine and I'm just going to go cry now. (laughs) So whatever. I don't know. This makes total sense to me. (laughs) I've not had any wine today. I didn't have any podcast wine. <laughs> uh, but, but that's really it. But what But what a great uh, encapsulation and way to punctuate this conversation is to explain how this is a legitimate endeavor and where it comes from yeah. and how it can be a spiritual loving act. And I think it makes you expand the way you think of other people and other beings. Anything you can do to increase your own compassion, I think it's going to be good. Crazy. He seemed happy. And he stopped limping. You're joking. No. He's a new man. You should go see him. (sighs) All right. Well, that was good. That was a good list. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. We really ran the gamut there. (laughs) Remember, we said we were going to pick one that was going to be easy this time. But uh, it was. Easy for me to, th- I mean, like it's yeah. easy and fun to think about, honestly. But it, really it was, was weightier than I thought it was. I, maybe. Well, yeah, I didn't. I didn't think I'd be crying today, but that's, <laughs> you know, the, the day takes you where it takes you. I don't know. I'm just here living life. I think one of the things that I figured out the more we were doing this is I, I got more convinced that we'll first see more like transhuman stuff that we would be like a wholesale vi. I think we'll see us change ourselves into a synthetic intelligence before we would see just a computer that all of a sudden says I'm alive. Um, you know yeah, what I probably mean? so. You know, we'd start, you know, we already replace hearts, maybe replace part of your brain, you know. I want at, to. At what point, if it's exactly the same, uh, would you say you're not human? You know, I would argue you're still human. So it would be interesting. 2029, it will happen. All right. Let's Nanobots are supposed to be happening pretty soon. I'm ready to eat whatever I want to. I know, guys. Mark your calendars. We'll be back here in 2029 to talk about our nanobots. <laughs> and I need glasses. That'll be the first augmentation I need. Well, you know what? My mom had cataract surgery. There's like little permanently embedded things on her eyes that keep cataracts from growing back. <laughs> Didn't you say it has a serial number and, and everything? And it has a serial number. So my mom is an android. If you get We're a hip replacement, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you have thoughts on this list or your own suggestions or your own desire for a Mecha Godzilla body, please email rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com or hit us up on social media and we might share some of your thoughts on the next episode. Well, we're 
Where can people follow us? You can find us on Twitter or Instagram, or you can visit our website at www.thewizardsnightshirt.com uh, to find out about this show and other shows like Curdle Holler, our original Halloween comedy series, as well as a complete archive of our Masters of the Universe review show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week when we call forth new champions. The legends they tell us.